if you can bring attention to those conditions right at this moment, just seeing them for what they are, you've already begun to meditate without any formal instructions, anything having to do with correct posture or uh, all the things, the many things that we'll learn over the weekend and the remainder of the week. So what I'd like to emphasize, and we'll be emphasizing this over and over throughout the time that we're working together, is that the practice uh, of this form of meditation is done all the time. It's a very gentle practice, but in its own way it's rather ruthless and that there is no way out. If at this moment you feel that you've made a mistake to come here with so many people on such a hot day and just hate being here, in fact, they're starting to hate meditation, perhaps even hating me, even though you don't know me. If you're able to look at that, then you're in the swim. Then you've turned towards Dharma. You're beginning to uh, take whatever life presents you with, whatever, come what may, and turn it into something that's spiritually useful, beneficial. Make it into something that is uh, able to educate us, something that's an occasion for learning, rather than seeing it as an obstacle, a barrier, a disappointment. And as the practice uh, develops, those who have been doing it for a while, I think it's fair to say that it's really a way of life. It's a, a kind of resolve, or uh, resolves a little bit, I don't know, austere, uh, because it becomes joyful, even when it isn't joyful. The whole adventure of learning, of being willing to turn our attention that each one of us has, this capacity to be conscious in the present moment, to turn that to our life as we live it, no matter where we are, no matter what time or place. So from this point of view, this way of looking at things, wherever one is and whatever the conditions, whatever opinions or views are in your head at that moment, whatever moods are dominant, it's a perfect place to practice. Couldn't be better. So whatever, from moment to moment, it's just perfect. When it's rotten and awful, it's perfect. And when we get into these very serene states or if suddenly we have some very cool weather, that's perfect too. It depends on how we relate to it. If we meet it, meet the particular set of conditions that form our inner and outer environment with an openness and a willingness to learn, then the meditative life is is moving. And so, if you hear what I'm saying, our practice is not going to be a, a grasping after particular states of consciousness, trying to get very beautiful, peaceful states and hold on to them as long as possible or to get high or to attain some states that perhaps we've read about in books. These states come. But fundamental and prior to any of that would be developing an attitude towards whatever turns up. Now, regarding the heat, since that seems to be at least on my mind, this is not a rehearsed talk, it's just... uh, I'm dealing with things at hand and it's hot for me. I don't know how it is for you. Many years ago, 
in Asia, it was in China, a yogi asked his teacher, how does one practice meditation when it's hot and when it's cold? And if you've been to Asia and some of these monasteries, they're not famous for being either air-conditioned or well-heated. So how do you practice meditation when it's very hot or it's cold, hot or cold? And the teacher answered, kill hot, kill cold. And there are lots of exchanges over the generations. What does that mean? I thought Buddhism is against killing. Very, you know, you're supposed to eat vegetables and be very gentle with each other. What do you mean kill hot or kill cold? And there have been many exchanges and interpretations. And one, another one, in trying to understand what it means to kill hot or to kill cold was hot Buddha, cold Buddha. Meaning that when it's hot, you sit like a Buddha sweating. The Buddha sweats. I mean, what else are you going to do? And when it's cold, you shiver. The Buddha sits and shivers. Now, how is that killing hot or killing cold? What it's getting at is that when we don't accept the particular set of conditions that are presented to us, and if you've noticed, it's pretty much out of our control. Nature seems to unfold and it's got laws all its own. Well, if we don't like what we get, then it's more trouble. That is, it's bad enough that, let's say, it's hot and it's cold. No one's denying that the body is either sweating or shivering. But then if the mind gets hot or the mind gets cold, then we have an added problem. It doesn't follow that because the body is hot that the mind has to get hot. It doesn't follow that because the body is cold that the mind has to get cold. Now, when we resist or yearn for conditions to be other than the way they are, we're making things worse for ourselves. Of course, it's all too natural. When it's hot, we would like it to be cool. And when it's cool, we'd like it to be hot. We don't seem to ever be satisfied, do we? <laughs> Maybe I'm just, just a personal testimonial. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. By the way, those of you who are new, it, meditation doesn't have to be a grim... In other words, grimness doesn't mean necessarily spirituality or dharma. I don't know how you're doing, but sometimes people who come here uh, come with certain images of what uh, an intensive practice retreat is. And we will work very hard, but it can have a light quality as well. So the problem of heat or cold diminishes if, as a Buddha, and each one of us is, let's say, a baby Buddha. When it's hot, We just sit and sweat, that's all. And when it's cold, we sit and shiver. It's not as much of a problem. Now I just have to reflect on these words and see if I can do it. (laughs) But that's um, a lot of what we'll be learning here. In a few moments, we'll go into particular instructions for the sitting meditation and tomorrow morning, a formal kind of walking meditation that we do. But there's a lot of time while we're here spent 
neither sitting formally nor walking. Just all the small actions and small activities that constitute our day. And sometimes we like the way we feel, the way the food is, the temperature, the mood that we're in, the kinds of people who are sitting at the table that we're sitting at, the way the hall is, the way our clothing feels, etc. And at other times we won't. And one of the main things that we'll be learning is to relax in the face of whatever turns up. How to see the mind pushing away or holding on and to see through that, a kind of wisdom in action. You'll hear words like letting go and attachment and wisdom in action and we'll be pointing to that a great deal so that a certain attitude is deepened a bit in the two days here or uh, the nine days for, for others. And you'll see that the practice is something that is an orientation towards life which can be enormously helped by sitting quietly and doing nothing in a hall like this. But it's something that can be done wherever we find ourselves, no matter what happens. Some of the guidelines and just briefly why we do these things. We've been taken away from our familiar surroundings and comforts and for a period of time we'll all be here together uh, deprived of those simple joys that we've all set up in our homes. And we'll be at times crowded with strangers and in silence. Moreover, each one of us will find us being a certain way. Like right at this moment, each one of you has pulled up to the retreat center and gotten out of the car and you find yourself being a certain way, being a certain kind of a person, liking this, not liking that. And that's also perfect. Because as you see, the practice is for each one of us to begin exactly where we are. We begin exactly with what we have. Perhaps you'd like to be seven foot tall, but you're not. Or perhaps you'd like to be five foot tall, but you're not. Or have a different shape to your body or different weight. Have a different kind of personality, but it looks like you just issued one. And then you have to kind of shape it and work with it. And we're issued this one body. Well, the practice is beginning with what we have. So everyone is totally qualified. In fact, that's the high art, is to get back to being able to experience ourselves as we are. Getting comfortable with what we find being known as me. That changing set of conditions known as me. Okay, now one of the things that will flush out a great deal about us as we carry out this self-witnessing, we'll be learning about ourselves quite a bit, if you're willing to, it's all set up for that, the self-witnessing, self-understanding, is the silence. 
And again, I don't know. I know that some of you, of course, know about it, but there are many new people here and perhaps are new to sustained silence, which you've intentionally entered into. It's not a library. Well, even that's intentional. Or it could be. The silence is, of course, outer silence. We're all agreeing with each other, except under certain conditions, during interviews, discussion periods, or sometimes our job calls for it. We've agreed to collaborate with each other to protect this outer silence. Now, the outer silence provides conditions, a set of conditions, which, make, which helps flush out and eventually lead to inner silence. It really can become quite futile in life to get attached to physical, the outer silence and organize our entire existence to grasp after it. Because sometimes we can have it, but very often we can't. But now we can have it during these, these days here. It's possible for us. And what it can do is help us to come to inner silence. Now, the inner silence is a, a, set, a sense of composure and balance, equanimity that the practice can bring us to, which then makes us more and more invulnerable to whatever the set of conditions are, whether the, the, it's outer silence or not, whether it's noisy or congenial or what have you. But to begin with, just as a, let's say, a baby plant needs protection, it's been found that this kind of protection, let's all agree to be quiet for a while, that in itself can be very healing, particularly if there isn't much of it in your life. But outer silence, of course, is not a guarantee of any inner silence. In fact, for those of you who are new, please don't be disappointed if you discover that your mind is much noisier than you ever thought. And perhaps you'll think, well, IMS is doing it to you. I had a perfectly decent mind until I came up to IMS. That may be true. I mean, we're trying to do our best, but probably what's happening is you'll be seeing what's always been there. And when we simplify things, it becomes quite evident. And so we begin to see uh, our mind as it is. Now, this outer silence that's so precious is also enormously fragile, in part because we, we're not adept adept yet at knowing what to do with it, perhaps not fully appreciating it yet. So what I would really ask in a very strong way is that we all agree to protect it while we're here. And this can be most difficult if you've come up with a friend. Again, it's all too natural to want to share what's happening to you here. Perhaps liking it very much and wanting to share that or being fed up and wanting to talk it out with your friend, but it would be helpful if you don't. Instead of talking things over with the person that you've come up with, how many people have come up here with someone? Yeah. Okay. But of course, that's true and that's good. But if you want to talk to someone, you don't need to have come up with someone, right? That's easy enough to do. So all of us are eligible for this. Instead of talking to that person that you know or that you would like to talk to, watch the mind that wants to do the talking. It's much more valuable. 
You can always talk to someone. When you get home, there'll be plenty of opportunities to do all the things that we always do. Up here, it can be very, very helpful to use these situations to really learn some things. And so, much will be flushed out. The mind may calm down a bit from the outer silence, but also certain things will be heard and seen inwardly that perhaps have not been available to you, accessible. So please try to protect that. If we all help each other, it will sustain itself and we'll all benefit. Something else that I'd like to suggest and and also uh, hint as to why we do it is if at all possible to uh, benefit from what we're attempting to do here, please don't read, don't write, and if you can help it, please don't make any phone calls. Now, what we're doing here, although each of these activities are perfectly worthwhile activities, just as talking to another human being is, but in the context of this retreat, we can view those channels of expression in many ways as leaks of energy. Ways in which we escape from ourselves. And really, our main job here, it's very, very simple, is just to be with ourselves. You know, you'll have a a job briefly each day, but that won't take a whole lot. The main thing that we have to do here is is to be with ourselves. To bring care and sensitivity to whatever we do. So if you, do, if you don't use the telephone, unless it's absolutely essential, if you don't write, and I know very often there's a great temptation to fill up a whole spiral notebook with your insights. My nine days at IMS, perhaps hope to publish it somewhere. <laughs> Just let the insights come and go. The really good ones will stay with you, you know, when you come home. Anyway, there, as you'll see, they become fossils almost instantaneously. The insight's valuable in the moment. And then it doesn't have so much value being stored up, put into a little book. Now, we do something here that's rather cruel. I've been leading a, there have been a few of us, a kind of crusade to put, it, put this cruelty to an end, but so far I've been unsuccessful. And that is we put all these very juicy title books in the library, not too far from the meditation hall, with nice couches for you to relax in. And then from time to time, you will wander in there, plump yourself down on the couch or plop yourself down and look and see a book, Meditation, Life, Love and Enlightenment. But you're not supposed to open it, right? So I think, and I apologize for that, we should get those books out of here and put them somewhere else. But let's turn it around because that's one of the arts we're learning. If some of the books stimulate your mind, then watch that mind. You can always read those books. They're really all over the place now. So we'll maintain silence. Try to keep things as simple as possible. If you can keep things simple and stick to the present, really just stick to the present, it'll be much easier for you. And sticking to the present means being with what turns up. Being with it simply because it's there. There's no need for any higher justification. A theory by Freud or Jung or the Buddha or anything like that. Why are you supposed to be attending to it? Because it happens to be there. 
It would be nice, let's say, if you feel very relaxed, but instead you're annoyed and agitated. Fine, then that's your practice in that moment. But I don't want it to be this way. I want it to be peaceful. Isn't that what meditation retreats are about? Okay, then look at that. Look at disappointment. Look at expectations. Look at impatience. So stick to the present. Keep it simple. Move through each activity, each small activity, from the moment that we wake up until we uh, go to bed, including the process of going to bed. Do each one thoroughly, carefully, gently, with as much alertness as possible, with as little anticipation as possible. Chewing the present mouthful, taking the present right step and the present left step, one step at a time, one breath at a time, putting the left pants leg on and then the right. Nowadays, you know, uh, many of us, we're concerned, very sensitive and rightfully so, about gender inequalities. And I suddenly thought, well, oh, what do you... I said, pants, that's just for the men, but it isn't true anymore, is it? I was thinking, well, well, how could I say something now that would be, that's appropriate if you're putting a dress on, but I don't have to say that. In absolutely everything we do, if you're taking a shower, to just take a shower, bring a very simple mind to the simple activity of experiencing the water, touching your body, whatever movements you're using to take the shower, and of course, noticing that the mind will be all over the place, plotting and strategizing, putting out a whole battle plan for what you're going to do during the day. See it, let it go very gently, and come back to just taking a shower. Just making your bed, just sweeping, just cutting vegetables. Not being upset when you find that this is not the easiest thing to do. If you get upset, that's all right too, seeing the mind get upset because it wants it to be easier than it seems to be. Do you see why it's ruthless? There's really no escape. No matter what comes up, welcome, great, it's all right. We're here to work with ourselves as we are. And we have somewhat of a frame of reference and a framework, some limitations. These limitations themselves will produce reactions, flush out certain tendencies in us. And that's part of why we do it. So that we can then examine, inquire into and see these tendencies, get to know them and to let them go. If you're new here, and I feel particularly concerned about the large number of you who are new, if this is true for all of us, but it may be particularly so for you, be careful about the comparisons that are made by the mind, the comparison process. Of, because some of the people here, because I, I know some, I've been sitting for many years, 10 and 15 years, you just walked in the door. And we're all here together. And from a certain point of view, it doesn't matter at all because it's the same practice. We're all paying attention to what's happening. But if you look around and you see somebody who's sitting like the Buddha and doesn't move for 40 minutes or an hour and you start comparing yourself, that'll only make 
the journey a lot more difficult. Learn from that. Notice how vulnerable we are, how much we care about how, what others think or what we think others think of us. But understand that you're just beginning. And so work as a, with a beginner, as a beginner. Of course, that's in general, so comparisons are not going to be really very helpful. And that's one quality of these meditation retreat groups that is, I guess, a bit unusual. It's not to me anymore, but I know now and then questions come up, and I I think it is for some people, until you get used to it. These are strange groups for some of us because we're alone, very much alone. We're here to learn about ourselves. And we're also very much together. We're together in the sense that the mere presence of other beings, even perhaps even though they don't talk to us, at least not very much, can be very supportive when we become discouraged or tired. It can be very helpful to look around and see everyone else is still here. And also, the other side of the coin, the people who are in our presence sometimes irritate us. They're not supportive when we hear rustling or movements or blowing of nose just at the time when we think we're entering some heavenly realm. (laughs) And so to work with that. And so we are very much together. And then we're also very much alone in that we're here to get to know ourselves and only You can do it. Each one of us has to do it by ourselves. We're all encouraging ourselves to, as individuals, come to know what's what for us, at least a little bit more than when we started. Okay. um, I think what would be useful now is you've been sitting for 45 minutes or longer, is if you like, not a long break, but just stand up and if you feel the need to stretch or move about, please do so. Just for a minute or so and then we'll uh, move into the meditation instructions, sitting and we'll actually do some practice. I'd like to talk about the group walk that we'll do first thing in the morning after we wake up and get dressed. as comfortable a sitting posture as you can. gently sway the body forward and back as you can see me doing it just very easy until you come to what feels like upright view make the oscillation smaller and smaller like a pendulum until finally it comes to a halt and what feels as upright as is possible for you Don't make it into a problem. Just do the best you can. And then swing from the right to the left. 
And again, gradually making the arc smaller and smaller until you feel that you come to what feels like straight for you so that perhaps this is helping us to rest at a point of real equilibrium, real balance. It's something that's learned over time. The body can learn this and come to it quite naturally. Get a sense of the, the state of our body right now. Bring awareness to the, the face and the head. Very often the eyes are hard and the jaw is tight. Perhaps uh, disclosing some striving. We're really, we've been saving up our money and enrolled in this retreat six months ago and we're really girded for action. We're ready to do it. Ease up on that. That only makes it more difficult. We need balanced effort, balanced energy, and see if there's some sign of imbalance in the face, the shoulders, the jaw. The hands often contain a great deal of tension that we store up from the day. Experiencing the hands and the fingers, one finger at a time. And if you find tension anywhere in the body, simply the finding of it can pretty much relax it, sometimes totally dissolve the tension. And so have a sense of your body sitting now, the whole body, in the sitting posture, upright. Allow the head to rest very lightly on the neck so that there isn't contraction there. As if the head were a balloon and just having a tendency to float slightly forwards and up. But don't make it float up. Just entertain that possibility with thoughts. and Feel this very light head mounted on a stable body, an erect and as comfortable as possible body. With practice, we can acquire a seat, what some of the ancients called acquiring a seat. Just plopping down on the cushion is just the very beginning of it. Acquiring a seat can take a while. And that's how, when the body learns how to be very stable and also very comfortable over an extended period of time. And we're learning how to do that. And begin to notice that at this moment, each and every one of us in this room is breathing. Without limiting the focus, without specifying where we bring attention, just in a very ordinary way, experiencing the breath wherever we find it meaning the sensations that arise in the nostrils, the chest, the abdominal area, and even more. Sometimes you feel it in the back and the throat, 
all kinds of places, the sensations that are produced by the in-breath and the out-breath. Just an overall sense of breathing right now. Life energy entering the body through the nose. Wastes, materials the body no longer needs, leaving on the exhalation. Breathing in life, breathing out what's now extraneous. And just experiencing our breath exactly as it is. And we're not attempting to shape the breath or to control it or to make it fit any rhythm or depth or anything whatsoever. Just let the breath do all the work. Let the breath follow its own nature. And simply experience each in-breath and each out-breath as that nature unfolds. If your attention is drawn away from the breathing, notice that fact and simply ease back to the in-breath and the out-breath wherever you find it being most prominent, most vivid. back should be easy, graceful, unforced, unhurried. And also, it's not done as if you've done something wrong. 
oop, I've been bad. My attention moved from the breath. I'm no good. I have weak concentration. It's not done in that spirit at all, but rather the coming back is a very much a part of the practice. It's normal. It's really a matter of when our attention leaves the breath, not if. All of our minds are moving away from the breath from time to time. And repeatedly coming back, and more generally, as, you, as the instructions unfold, repeatedly opening up to the present moment, being present. This is what we're developing. And so if we didn't need to come back, we wouldn't need to be here. So please develop that kind of a generous attitude towards yourself. Attempt to be with the the breathing, but when the mind, which has a mind of its own, goes elsewhere, notice it and just ease back to the in-breath and the out-breath. like to suggest you do now. The yogis who've been here before perhaps already know this and know exactly what to do. Select either the nose or the abdomen as a place to watch the breath. And make that choice, perhaps based on what you've been experiencing. Where are you more drawn? What seems to be a more appropriate object of attention for you? Is it watching the breath as it comes in and out, touching the nostrils? Or is it the placement of attention, experiencing the breath as the abdomen heaves, rises and falls? If you're not sure, Experiment a bit, but as soon as possible, it's helpful to pick one or the other, settle in with it, and use it as an anchorage, as a point of stability. As the instructions unfold, you'll see we'll be using that point of stability a great deal. And so it's helpful if you decide, and in a sense it's not that important, either one will do. Moreover, there will probably be sittings when you prefer one or the other. So if you can just pick with one, pick one as soon as you feel reasonably confident that you know which one it is, and then settle there and stay with it for the life of the retreat. Having made that simple choice will be very, very helpful in the, in the midst of all the complexity that exists for us.
And so in my own case right now, I'm at the abdomen. Letting the breath go its own way. Experiencing this rising motion and falling motion. Which I come back to should attention move from it. And for tonight, this will be all that we'll do now in the remainder of this sitting. Instructions will change a bit tomorrow. We'll be waking up at 5.30 tomorrow morning. And then at 6, doing a group walk. Unless it's raining, we'll be meeting out front, right in front of the main entrance. And we'll walk at natural speed, trying to stay awake while we walk, get some energy going can be helpful for some people to bring attention to the feet, just experiencing that contact as we move. And some of you may prefer to just have that sense of the whole body in movement. So please try to come to that and treat it as a meditation, not just as, uh, as exercise, although it is that too. It's to wake us up. We'll walk for a few minutes and then begin to sit. Uh, some of the etiquette around the hall, especially for those of you who are new. Please try to come on time for the sittings and to not leave until they're over. In general, it's very helpful if you can let the schedule be your teacher. Really try as best you can to stick to the schedule. It's permissible to stand up. That is, if you find yourself in just entirely too much pain and discomfort and work with it in a variety of ways, some of which we'll go into. It's fine to continue the meditation in the standing posture. Simply stand up, continue the awareness, uh, and either finish the session that way or when your body cools out, then just resume the sitting. Okay, what I would suggest is that you decide now, if you depending on how much energy or how alert you are. And probably if you're here for the first time, it would be good uh, to get an early night's rest and to be fresh tomorrow morning. But I also know that some of you have been here and been practicing for a while. You may feel like sitting more, and that would be great. So take a short break, do some walking, or have something to drink, and then come back to the hall and sit a while. Whatever you decide to do, the movement from here to there, in this case, just simply getting up from the cushion, raising the body up from the cushion. See if we can accompany, if awareness can accompany that, if the mindfulness can move with the body. And as we walk at 
whatever speed you like. Some of you may want to walk very slowly. And we'll go into the walking instructions tomorrow morning in more detail. Some of you at a natural speed, try to stay awake. Start to really, try to really experience the walking. And whatever else you do this evening, getting undressed consciously, making your bed consciously, and even the going to sleep itself. As you lie down, you can come to the breath and just using the breath as a vehicle, just go right to sleep. So you decide how you want to use your time right now. Um, And I'll see you tomorrow morning. We'll all see you tomorrow morning. Turn the cassette over at this point.
few hints on walking meditation, which is simply the challenge of keeping meditation alive while walking, keeping awareness alive while walking. One kind, which I'll go into in a bit of detail right now, is a a formal walking meditation practice that we do here. And then also just ordinary walking, which you'll find yourself doing a lot of during the day. Can you all see my hands? These are feet right now. Can you see back there? Anyone who can't see? We have a walking room, which is on the other side of this wall the upper walking room, and there's also one underneath the meditation hall. Just go down one flight. And you can walk outside. Uh, The length of the track is established if you're inside. If you're outside, I would make it somewhere between 20 and 30 paces. And experiment. Many people find that steps that are about the length of a step, or it's not too large, are helpful in terms of the mind not getting distracted but see what works for you. What to attend to, again, I would experiment. For those of you who are new, it probably is best to start off with just the feet, just to experience what's happening in each foot as you raise it up and then move it and then very carefully place it in contact with the surface. And not bringing the opposite foot into play until you've completed that motion so that The right leg raises up and you're, let's say, experiencing the foot and then moves and then is placed in contact with the surface. And then you bring the left leg into action. So it's taking one step at a time. The whole practice is that really, certainly while we're here, just doing things carefully and we're slowing it down quite a bit. Uh, You have a track. Let's assume for the moment that this is the walking room. And so you would start at one end of the room and make your way to the opposite end. When you come to the wall or the end of your track outside, it can be helpful to just halt and to just stand for a few moments. Perhaps sweep through the body with awareness or experience a few breaths. And then turn and be careful on the turn. Uh, Often people space out while turning. So do the turn very carefully and then reverse your direction. Now, while you're doing the walking meditation, if you should find that something repeatedly becomes a problem, something over and over again is breaking in on your ability to attend to the walking, it can be helpful to just come to a stop, just stand, and allow that which is demanding attention some attention. Just hear it out. It's not that you have to resolve anything or or a final solution, but just give it a day in court. Just hear it and then resume the walking again. The speed, um, there's some at times confusion for people. Uh, Sometimes people will think that slow is spiritual, that the slower you walk, the more holy you are. Slow is just slow. And then also sometimes it's implied that if you can really be awake while moving at a fast pace, not so much here, but at other meditation centers, or at a natural pace, that that's really what's valuable. Fast is just fast. There's nothing particularly spiritual about it or dharmic or anything else. It's what we do with it. So the key thing 
is to develop wakefulness while walking. Now, the various speeds have different possibilities. For example, if you're walking very, very slowly, you can definitely get more precise and microscopic in your noticing, and that has some value. But that mode of walking doesn't carry over into daily life as well. And so you don't get practice, if you do too much of that, you don't get practice at being very sensitive to your walking while you're just walking at an ordinary pace. So then we go the other direction. Let's just just walk naturally and develop the capacity to, to stay alert while walking. For the most part, you won't get as precise or as microscopic in your noticing. You can get very, very concentrated and many valuable things can happen there. A lot of wisdom can come out of it in both. Letting go and so forth. But what you gain is uh, practice of keeping awake at a normal pace and one that you use all the time or a lot. So that when you leave here, that can help with continuity of the practice. Now, during the time that you're practicing here, there are just a few rules of thumb, some guidelines, and you'll, if you pay attention, become your own teacher with walking. Sometimes really rapid walking is called for if you're very sleepy and the mind is rather dull. Uh, it can be very helpful, at least to some people, to take a brisk walk or to walk at a slightly more rapid pace. Whether it's in a formal track or just uh, a more open-ended kind of walking. At other times, the mind can be very scattered all over the place. It's not dull, but it's very restless and scattered. And you might find that slow walking is very, very helpful and very useful. Some people benefit from, let's say, in a typical walking period, beginning at a slightly slower than normal pace or a normal pace and gradually slowing it down till the final segment of the walking is very, very slow so that the noticing can be very, very precise. Now, some of you already are and some of you may want to experiment with bringing awareness into the whole leg, not only the foot. I would encourage the beginners to start with the foot but you'll soon find out what's best for you. And that would be the same thing, but experiencing the, the life of the sensations in the foot and leg as, as you move it. Okay, now during the day, you'll be going from one activity to another, and I'll leave that up to you. Some of you may want to walk very, very slowly, let's say from here to the dining room, or to make your way up to your room. And that's fine. Those don't worry about... Uh, people behind you will understand and will just go around you. Some of you may want to walk at uh, a normal pace, normal for you, or anywhere in between. And that may vary as the day unfolds. But the key thing is to stay awake. So at whatever speed you use, please try to remember to know that you're walking. If at, let's say, the lunch break or in our morning walk, when we start off the day with a group walk, um, you're walking at a normal pace, uh, please don't forget, don't see that as just a break, as uh, an exercise break, which it is, and that can be very helpful. It can arouse energy and uh, loosen up the body. But again, stay wakeful with it. Those of you who've been practicing for a while, or if you are naturally attracted to it, again, experiment and find out, may find particularly, let's say, a long walk around the loop or going from here to there, not the formal slow walking. You may want to experiment with the whole body awareness 
That is, as you walk, uh, learning how to uh, bring awareness throughout the whole body. When that becomes, uh, develops, awareness permeates the entire body as you move. And in any case, staying with the walking can help ground you, help keep you awake and uh, minimize the distractions. Okay, why don't we all begin to walk and find a track for yourself. Till now, we've been observing the breathing, whether at the nose or the abdomen, as an exclusive object of attention. No matter where we're taken to, the instructions have been to simply come back to the breath. And now the instructions will change so that the breath will be treated as a primary object, as a home object, but not exclusive. And it's with these instructions that we'll finish the weekend retreat with. We'll continue to use this set of instructions. Whereas before, it's possible to conceive of everything else as interfering with our attentiveness to breathing. Now we turn anything into a meditation object itself. It's no longer seen in quite the same way. For example, I hope that by now you're established at least in choice, in experiencing the breath at either the nostrils or the abdomen. And it's best to not jump around. Whether you choose the nose or the abdomen, it'll never be totally fulfilling in every sitting, in every moment of every sitting. So go to that which you seem most drawn to, which seems most accessible, most interesting. And if it doesn't matter, then simply pick one and stay with it. And so, for example, if you're with the rising and falling motion of the abdomen and a pain in the back becomes much more distinct, more vivid than the motion of the abdomen, then the observing mind is already there. It's not that we have to decide to go there. We are there. It's taken our attention away from breathing. And now, instead of simply coming back to breathing, we observe that painful sensation itself. It's not less valuable than the breath as a meditation object, nor is it more valuable. It's what is most vivid, most distinct in our life at that moment. Just heard the car go by, that sound. My attentiveness naturally went to it. I heard it and now I'm back to the abdomen.
And so now the full range of mind and body are brought in. Although we use the breath as a point of stability, as a kind of home, nonetheless we'll find ourselves in many places, in the mind, in the body, also sounds, perhaps smells, And the training now is to get comfortable with the mind and the body as a natural process, unfolding in its own characteristic way, following its own lawfulness, a process that, if you observe it carefully, perhaps you'll conclude, as many have, it's one that we don't own. Everything will be seen to be arising and passing away based on a particular set of causes and conditions. And when those causes and conditions change, that which was influenced by them also changes. So we're with the breath and then perhaps something in the body and perhaps the mind gets restless or discouraged or very joyful. Those would each be meditation objects. And it's not something we have to think out, puzzle out, be in conflict over. We find ourselves there. And instead of viewing it as interfering with our ability to attend to the breath, we immediately, instantaneously transform where we find ourselves into meditation itself. So there's no such thing as interference now. The practice is open to life itself in its many forms. Now, if you should find that you're taken, and this is especially important for those of you who are very new to this practice, if you should find that you're taken someplace other than the breath, and you have a difficult time staying with it, you get lost in it, you find that it's difficult to have a, to bring it into clear focus, you get very identified with it, as a rule of thumb, acknowledge it and then simply go back to the breathing. More and more as our concentration deepens, as our confidence develops, we'll be able to move with all of these objects, to see them arise, to see them pass away. to come back to each breath, to see that arise and pass away as well.
And so now we're attending to a moving field of objects with one of those objects given a bit of preference. That's the breath. But we're also developing a pliable quality of mind which enables us to be with whatever turns up, to be with it and experience it as directly as possible. to come to know it as it is. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.